Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hi, I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Today, we're speaking with Ray, who started his career off in sales and trading before realizing that it wasn't quite for him. So he left to build a career in tech. But don't worry, he comes back to finance at the end of the story. Before we get into it, let me tell you about the courses that Wall Street Oasis has to help you prepare and crush your interviews. From investment banking to hedge funds, private equity, consulting, their courses have all the information you could ever need. Check them out and make sure you say podcast is where you heard about them. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision. And it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Ray, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Alex. Yeah, so you've got a background where you grew up coding but something inside of you told you that you wanted to do finance and you did that and then you went to tech and back to finance. And so you've had this career that's kind of cut through finance and tech. But let's start at the beginning. Let's hear your background, who, who Ray is. Sure, sure. Um, so when I was growing up, I was uh, really interested to, to, to make things, both from a technical perspective and from an artistic perspective. Um, I've always studied art. Uh, I've always coded, uh, I think, since I was about eight. Uh, I, I started with just uh, trying to hack into games I used to play, trying to cheat on the games. I think that was kind of like a common theme for a lot of uh, uh, kids back in the days growing up in China. Um, you get these bootleg games, and then you, you, you try to hack into them. Um, so so uh, through, through that, I gained a lot of uh, just uh, casual technical skills. Um, and then when I went to uh, college, I was thinking about studying um, either like computer graphics or some sort of um, engineering related discipline. Um, the funny thing was my, my mother at the time, she, she told me like, you know, you, you're a pretty smart kid. You'll probably be a pretty smart business person. Uh, but I doubt if you will ever be like the smartest scientist uh, ever. Um, so I was like, okay, uh, that kind of makes sense. So I, I decided to study business. Uh, so I studied finance uh, and management. Uh, and uh, if you study finance, I think one of the best exit opportunities uh, is to go work in investment banking. So I was looking at investment banking and management consulting, and I decided that uh, I was better at uh, Excel than PowerPoint. So um, I I went into investment banking. Uh, got it. And so... You grew up in China, but you was the you came to America for school or, or before that? That's right. Yeah. So I grew up uh, near uh, Hong Kong in, in Shenzhen, China. I came to the U.S. when I was 13 uh, with my family. So uh, it, it wasn't exactly my choice, but I think it, it, it turned out to be pr- pretty good. Uh, uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. So why did your family move here? 
Um, it's more because of my father's work. Uh, he worked for CSX, um, the train company. So right. China, uh, China Southern. Uh, no, CSX, the, uh, the the American train company. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so he he used to uh, go around the world to buy shipping containers, um, and and CSX has a uh, big facility in Florida. So we moved to Florida. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So you go to school. Your 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 mom. You like coding. You kind of you have this innate tech background. But your mom says maybe you'd be a good businessman. So you decide. Okay, I'll study finance and. Try to go get a job in investment banking, and you graduated. And, and how did you do that? That's right. Um, frankly, it was really, really tough. Uh, I didn't go to a target school. I went to University of Florida. Um, I studied finance only at the undergraduate level. And after I got out, uh, I was trying really hard to get into bulge bracket. Right? I, I remember um, studying up on what investment banking is all about, the different roles you can have in investment banking. Um, the different kind of um, bulge bracket banks or boutique banks that you can go to. I really wanted to go to a boutique. I, I felt like um, I can learn the most by being in a really large company and learning the best practices. And that's frankly still the advice I would give to new graduates now, nowadays. I think a lot of new graduates, they, they come out of school and they try to go to a really small company, maybe like a tech startup with 10 people. Um, but I always recommend people to go to a larger company first because you can learn a ton and you can also meet a lot of people. Um, yeah. It's also more marketable to start at a big company with a name, get right. some recognition. Right. Uh, and then you can always go small. It's not always easy to go from small to big. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So um, at the time, I think I was mainly in interviewing at um, banks in the Southeast region, maybe tier two banks like SunTrust, Robertson Humphrey. Uh, I remember I went to um, uh, a, a, a few banks in the area, um, but I really wanted to go to New York. So um, I, I got pretty lucky uh, when I was interviewing at SunTrust. I met someone. I actually uh, ended up dating her for a while, and then uh, her sister worked at Merrill. So that's how I was able to get a referral into Merrill. Uh, and uh, at the time, the only available... Um, opportunity for me was to be in sales and trading, uh, to work in on, on the fixed income desk, and I decided, hey, uh, you know that sounds interesting. I read Liar's Poker. I really liked it. Um, let's give it a shot. Uh, so that's how I ended up at Merrill. Right. So then you're, you're working in sales and trading. Yeah. How'd you find that? Um, it's it's very interesting. So I worked on the fixed income desk, and we dealt mainly with money market funds. Um, so at the time, Merrill had 56 money market funds that we traded, uh, mainly for institutional investors. Uh, a lot of it is about uh, really understanding the macroeconomic environment uh, and being able to ad advise the clients on what to do. Uh, I, I think a lot of what you hear about the, the difference between uh, the equity side of the house and the fixed income side of the house is, is fairly true. I think the equity side is, is more exciting. You get more action. Uh, whereas on the fixed income side, uh, the volume is a lot bigger. Uh, the transactions are a lot bigger. Um, but I think it's, it's, not, it, it's, a, it's a very different feel versus the um, equity side of things. 
uh, I think you ended up doing different kind of event-driven research. Uh, you end up talking to different kind of people. Um, also, our desk was 24-7, so I dealt a lot with the folks in Singapore, in London. Uh, so we, we had to man our desk 24-7, uh, unlike, unlike if you're on the equity desk, you are there basically during um, the uh, opening hours. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's very different. Um, and uh, so I, I was at Merrill for almost two years. And, and another interesting thing uh, about my experience there is I was right there around the time uh, Merrill Lynch sold Merrill Lynch Investment Managers to BlackRock. Um, so a lot of what I worked on was actually the transition of the funds to BlackRock. So I worked a lot with the BlackRock team in New Jersey. Um, and because of that, my group was dissolved. Uh, and I was looking for something else. Right. And so this is an impressive move that you made. You went to a non-target school. You got a job in sales and trading at a great investment bank. You must have been feeling pretty good about yourself. Yeah. You know, I, I, I definitely uh, enjoyed the experience. Um, I learned a ton. I think the most I got out of the experience was um, dealing with people. Like I, I think uh, a lot of... Um, uh, at the time, I, w I was thinking about how how should I prepare? How can I be like the best trader I can ever be? I was like, okay, I need the best Excel skills, right? <laughs> can I use Excel without mouse? But what, what ended up uh, uh, being was, um, it, it's really about the relationships. It's really about talking to people, making sure that people have faith in you. People trust what you say and what you can do and make sure that you, you follow through on your promises. Um, that the, the relationship part was probably my biggest takeaway. Um, but uh, at the same time, I, I think I enjoyed the um, job, but I, I didn't necessarily enjoy being in sales and trading because um, of my hobby, right? So I, I, I wrote code. I really enjoyed it. Um, I didn't feel like I was really building anything meaningful. Um, and I wanted to leverage more my hobby. So I, I decided to um, leave the group after the transition to BlackRock uh, and look for something a little different. Okay, and what'd you find? So um, I was looking for something in New York, but I, I got a call from a headhunter uh, who worked for HSBC, uh, and I found a consumer finance job uh, working for HSBC's credit card business in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, so um, that, that was quite an interesting time for HSBC because HSBC, um, as we know, it doesn't have a huge presence in the U.S., uh, but on the consumer lending side, or specifically the credit card business, um, around the 2007 to 2009 timeframe, it was actually the largest uh, non-prime lender, credit card lender in the U.S. through a number of acquisitions. Uh, so it purchased a company called Metris, uh, based in Minneapolis, which is why it had a huge presence in the Minneapolis area. Uh, and I thought it was interesting because it was a strategy and analytics role. And I knew that analytics was going to be more and more technical. I knew that Excel is not exactly going to scale if you have to analyze uh, consumer-level data for you know, 300 million people. Um, so I thought that I could get into analytics, and that's sort of my path towards the technical side of things. Uh, and, and when you work on B2C data, um, you really have to understand the whole, the full analytics stack. So from data ingestion from vendors, 
to data ETL pipelines, like how do you pipe data into your data warehouse, to how do you warehouse data correctly and efficiently, to what kind of um, business intelligence tools or query tools to pull data out of your data warehouse and analyze it uh, effectively, and, uh, and all the way to how to visualize data to tell the, the story uh, with your insights. Uh, so this whole stack is quite technical, especially for B2C data. Uh, so I, I think uh, through our number of analytics roles, my instinct at the time turned out to be correct. Uh, it got me really, really technical. Um, it, it got me a lot of skills uh, with uh, working with databases, working with uh, very scripting languages like SQL, Python. Uh, so I, I think it, it, it was a pretty good move. Right. And <clears throat> have you ever even been to Minnesota before you got the job? <laughs> no, I, I have not. Um, at the time, I, I was really young, so I was around like 20 to 21 at the time uh, when I left Merrill. And um, I think at the time, I was just thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm single, I don't have any uh, really baggage. Uh, I love New York, but I wanted to try something different, uh, a different environment and a different industry, uh, or maybe not a different industry, I guess in this case, but a, a very different part of, of the same industry. Uh, and I, I was told by a number of friends, they're like, oh, no, God, you do not want to move to <laughs> Minnesota. Like, why, why would you ever do that, especially given that you grew up near Shenzhen and you, you grew up in Florida? Um, but um, I, I went anyways because I, I thought, hey, I'm young. I will go where the job is. And it, it was a really nice uh, job. Uh, and I loved the team there. Uh, and I, I was in Minnesota for almost six years. Um, it turned out to be actually really, really great. Like the Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, Twin Cities area is a really nice place to live, especially in the in the summer. Um, yeah, my my dad's from Minneapolis, and I've spent a lot of time there. And yeah, in the summer, it's great. The lakes and it's beautiful. Yeah. In the winter, it's a different story. It's pretty cold. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely is. It, it you know it's it's the, the main problem I have with it. It's it, it's the, the the length of the winter, right? It's like five, six months. Like you can have a blizzard in May, uh, which is it's fairly rare. But I, I think I, I I had it pretty nice at the time. I, I, I had underground heated parking at where I lived. I also had underground heated parking where I worked. So if I wanted to, I could actually stay in my car and inside all day without ever going outside. Uh, so I, I thought that was okay. Yeah. Nice. Okay, so you're there mm-hmm. six years building a career, building a life, then what happened? Yeah, so um, I met my wife there. Uh, she was going to University of Minnesota at the time. Uh, and then she, she decided to go to Berkeley for her grad school. Um, I, I had a, a number of different jobs there. I also did my own startup in, in the Minneapolis area uh, and was thinking about what I want to do next. And I, I, I thought, okay, uh, now that I'm more technical with my analytics background, uh, I want to actually get closer and closer to software, to do professional software engineering. And the best place to be uh, is the San Francisco Bay Area. I think it's similar to when I first came out of school, right? Like, where is the best place to be for uh, finance? And that is New York City. So um, because of my, my wife and because uh, I wanted to be closer to software, I moved out to the San Francisco Bay Area. Great. And... So you, you moved from Minnesota, now you're in San Francisco. Right. Are you married, are you married at this time, or, or you're, you're still dating? Um, it's, it's around the time that I moved here, we got married. Yeah. So it's been okay. almost five years since we got married. Yeah. 
Okay. And so I think a trend is starting to develop here that like you're willing to go where the opportunities are. You're willing to move around and just kind of make the best of something. And, you know, I think that's a good lesson. A lot of people think, oh, I need to be in New York. I was you know, mm. from the New York area. My family's there. My friends are there. That's the center of the finance world. And I'm not willing to go anywhere else. Whereas you worked in New York. You went to Minnesota. You went to San Francisco. You kind of just like follow where the opportunities are. Is that kind of how you look at it? Yes, I, I, I do agree. I think um, and another key takeaway is perhaps um, think about what you really enjoy doing. Um, because um, I think a lot of folks want to go into investment banking and finance because it's a very lucrative job. It's a, it's a very high-profile role. Um, but um, after a while, uh, I think money will only take you so far. Um, at least for me personally, I always think about, like, what, what do I really enjoy doing? Um, I love building things, and I love seeing the joy of people using my creations and being delighted. Um, and I can do that more effectively by either writing software or being a product manager uh, than being, say, an analyst. Um, I just enjoy that more. And, and uh, the, the creative process was more meaningful for me than other aspects of my career. So I, I pursued that. Uh, and like you said, I, I also went where the opportunities are. Uh, and I, I can I can tell um, folks a bit about why the San Francisco Bay Area is really really good for startups and software. So w- one specific example is, after I came here, I went to a ton of meet meetups. Right, I, I lived in San Francisco, uh, in a city, uh, and and literally every single night there will be some sort of meetup mostly uh, technology-oriented, uh, perhaps about some open-source library or perhaps about you know, how does Uber do data science or how does Square do fraud detection using artificial intelligence, right? So you can go through these tech talks or meetups. Uh, they're usually hosted at some uh, mid-to-large company, uh, yeah, say, for example, Airbnb, uh, and you go there and they feed you uh, like their kitchen cooks for you. So you get free food. You can literally eat at meetups every single night of the week uh, and you meet a ton of like minded people. Uh, and you don't really have that anywhere else. Like I, I've went to a few tech meetups in New York. There are certainly a lot there, but um, you cannot really compare to the breadth and depth of uh, what we have in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and uh, I, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that a lot of startups are based here, and a lot of technologies are uh, are they, they grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. So um, if you think about some of the top open source uh, software packages on GitHub, uh, a lot of them are created by folks who live in the San Francisco Bay Area. So that really helps a lot if you want to get closer to software. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you get to San Francisco, you're about to get married, you have no job, you, you've identified, which is a huge step, you've identified that you like to build things, and mm-hmm. so you're starting to you know, check things off your list of what you want to do, things you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. So what happens? How do you find your next gig? Sure. So I, I really wanted a job as a professional software engineer. Um, I, I've written code for a long time, and I've contributed to some of the largest open source uh, software packages in, in the world. But I, I knew that if I worked on a, um, a quote-unquote professional software engineering team, it would be a very different learning experience than me hacking away uh, on an open source project online with folks uh, from all around the world. Um, so 
Um, in order to do that, my my strategy was basically to go to meetups and meet as many people a, a, as possible. I think one of the other uh, um, themes I have about um, building my career path over the past 12 years or so is um, as you get more uh, senior, more experienced, uh, the, the kind of roles uh, that, that really are promising for you uh, will eventually turn out to be the ones through your connections. So nowadays, when I'm looking for, for jobs, I no longer apply online. Uh, I no longer look for jobs on LinkedIn and whatnot. I always check with my network to see, okay, I want to work at say, Airbnb. Uh, who do I know or who do I know who knows someone who can introduce me as someone at Airbnb? Uh, I think that that both uh, gets you into the door more easily and also um, uh, they can also tell you about their experience there because sometimes uh, from the outside, a company may look really promising, but you know, from, from the inside, there are a number of problems that you may want to avoid. So, so I, I wanted to build this network with, with the software engineering crowd here. So I, I went to a hackathon uh, put up by Google, and I met a guy there. Uh, his name is Charles, uh, and Charles uh, turned out to be one of the original four engineers who built the entire iTunes stack for Apple back in the 90s after Apple bought SoundJam. Uh, so he is uh, a, a, more, uh, a older engineer, uh, a very senior engineer, and he is a very, very good technical architect. Um, and I, I worked with him on the hackathon. I, I knew that I wanted to work with him at some point. So I stayed in touch with him uh, over almost two years. I, I keep asking him, I said, what are you working on? Like, I'd love to work with you on something. Like, <laughs> let me know, what, what can I do? And eventually he went to a startup called Montage Studio, which is a startup founded by the team of folks who came out of Apple and Next. Uh, uh, so he went there and he's like, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm here. I'm working on some cool stuff. You, you should come. And, and I went there. Uh, and that was my very first software engineering gig. That's really cool. So can you give people, like, tell them exactly how you cultivated that relationship with him. Like, you met him at this event. Mm -hmm. And then, like, where did, it, where did it go over the next however long it took you to get this job? You have coffee once a month. You send an email of interesting articles. How would you, you know, keep that relationship going? Yeah, so I, I tried to do both. Um, so uh, Charles actually lived in Texas, and he he was doing consulting gigs at the time. So he would travel back and forth, uh, and I I would just ping him. I would say, okay, when are you in town next? Uh, and I knew that he loved to go to meetups too. So I, I would say, okay, let's go check out this meetup together. Um, and then we'll go, and then we'll, we'll listen to some tech talk. We'll chat a bit, and then I will show him on... Um, the uh, open source software pro projects I was working on. So at the time, I was building this uh, Bitcoin arbitrage dashboard uh, kind of thing. Uh, so I, I, I showed him, and he's like, wow, that's really cool. Like, I cannot believe that uh, you were able to build this and you don't have any software engineering experience. And then he, he said, look, I, I'm pretty sure that if you really wanted to find, find a job as a software engineer, you, you can very easily find find one. So he, he gave me a lot of um, advice uh, and uh, I also got the sense that um, uh, it's it's not just that I wanted to work work with him. I, I, I got the sense that he also wanted to work with me on, on some level as maybe a more junior dev. Um, and I think that that was very helpful because you don't really want to push someone who 
may not have the time or energy or or even the interest to network with you or 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 help you, right? Uh, so you definitely want to test the waters. But once you um, have sort of um, some indication that you can have a very fulfilling relationship uh, that's win-win on both ends, you should definitely go for it. Right, and you were able to show him that you could provide value, and, and that was a big, a big step forward. That's right, yeah. Okay, so you start working at this startup company, you're mm-hmm. a software engineer. That's How's right. How's that go? It's, it's very, very hard. Um, I, I think uh, when, when you hack away on things on your own, you don't really think about um, some of the um, things that are required in a, uh, in a professional software engineering environment where you have to ship code to production. Um, so things like... Um, you should have tests for your code or you should have uh, some sort of continuous deployment environment uh, or you should have some sort of feedback loop with your customers uh, to integrate new features. Um, there are a lot of things that, that I didn't know working on open source software projects and I've found out and learned. Um, but I think the, the, the most challenging thing for me was um, I worked as a framework engineer. So what, what that means is it's quite low level, right? Like um, it's, uh, it, so we worked on a web application framework. So I, I imagine if you build Gmail, right? You, you, might, you might be able to say, okay, I want a button here. Uh, if I click on the button, where I can compose a new email. But what you don't think about is how does that button show up? Like what kind of... Uh, framework does the Gmail application use in order to build buttons and forms and windows and, and whatnot. So uh, it's, it's more low level and we are basically building tools for other software engineers to build applications on top of. Uh, so uh, I think the, um, the, the requirement and the technical know-how there is a lot more challenging than building application code, like if you're building uh, just an app or, or something. So um, the learning curve was extremely steep for me. And frankly, I had a very tough time in the beginning. Um, but I think eventually um, it got easier. And I think working with a really senior folks uh, team of folks uh, was really helpful. They were able to teach me a lot. And I'm, I'm forever grateful for, for them giving me a chance to be a professional software engineer and for everything they've taught me. Right. So as you're going through these hardships, I mean, you have to be thinking, man, 15 years ago, maybe my mom was right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I, I think it's interesting to also think about uh, what does software, engin- uh, software engineering mean, right? It's similar to in- investment banking, right? It's, uh, it's not actually clear if someone says, I want to work in investment banking, because there are probably at least like five major areas in investment banking so you, can, you can work in. And it's the same with uh, software engineering. So uh, you can be a front-end engineer, you can be a back-end engineer, you can be a data scientist uh, who mainly focus on writing algorithms. You can work on something like high-performance computing where you have to deal a lot with uh, the bare-metal hardware. So um, my, my specialty uh, was basically UI design and implementation. And I think that has to do with my, my interest uh, for, for the design and art side of things. Uh, and my experience there, and and also um, having to work with a team of folks, uh, designers, engineers uh, who came out of Apple and X was really helpful, um, because uh, even though we're mainly all engineers, we we sort of all played dual roles, 
um, as both designers and engineers. And when we worked on client projects, we'll basically do the whole scope. So we don't, we don't just say take the design specs from a designer and then implement it. Uh, we'll try to help the client on basically the full scope of the project. Um, so um, I, so I, I tried to focus on a specific area that I knew that I would be good in and I, I knew that I had a lot of interest in learning more about. Uh, and and th that's actually um, uh, the advice I give a, a lot of um, younger engineers nowadays because a lot of people uh, who go to these coding boot camps and they, they sort of try to teach you to become what's called a full stack engineer. Uh, sort, sort, sort of like a jack of all trades, if you will, right? But I, I think it's it's very difficult to be a full stack engineer um, uh, because just just a very small part of software engineering is difficult enough, and also the context switch between uh, working on the UI versus working on the back end uh, versus working on maybe some networking. It, issues, it's, it's very challenging. So I always recommend people to focus on one area. And that's what I did. And I feel like I, I was able to get deep enough on just the UI design and engineering part. Uh, and eventually, I was able to lead a team on my skills developed in that area. Very cool. So Ray, you start your career off in sales and trading. You realize I like building things, but you know, probably there's still something inside of you that, that likes finance. You start to work in these engineering jobs. Mm -hmm. Bring it full circle. How do you get to where you are today? How do sure. you bring finance back into your into your life? Sure. So, um, so uh, the company I was at, Montage Studio, it got acquired. Um, it got acquired by a backend company, and I knew that I didn't really w want to work on backend technology. So I, I was looking for my next opportunity, uh, and I was thinking, okay, since I worked in on the business side of things, uh, I worked somewhat in design and and also in software engineering. So I've done these three pieces. The the, the natural intersection of these three pieces is product management. Um, so I was trying to de decide whether I should be a product manager um, then or be a product manager in five years. Maybe take another software engineering job, which will be like a natural thing to do since I was already one. Um, but then five years later, transitioned into a product manager role. Um, and I, I wanted to transition eventually um, because um, even though I'm able to get a job as a software engineer, uh, I'm not, uh, after looking at my background, I, I don't think I'm that competitive uh, versus someone maybe with a master's degree coming out of uh, CMU or Stanford in computer science. Um, so I was like, Okay, why why would I compete with those folks, right? Like, what what do I have that's special that that businesses can utilize that those those folks don't have? And it's my business background, so I, I decided to go into a, to to product management, and I decided to do it after my company got acquired instead of doing it maybe in five years. So uh, I went to a startup uh, called You Know, which builds a search engine, an academic search engine, to compete with Google Scholar. Uh, so I was there uh, first as a product manager and then as the director of product management, helping them to build both the UI engineering team, the product design team, and, and the product management team. So I was there for a while, uh, and then uh, I was able to connect with my contact and, at Andreessen Horowitz. I was telling her, okay, I liked working on a search engine, but uh, it is an academic search engine mainly in the education field. 
uh, and I, I don't feel like it's really utilizing my, my background. And I wanted to, to get closer towards what I, what I knew. And there are two areas, two industries that I know fairly well. One is finance, and the other one is e-commerce. Uh, so I, I told her about my story. I told her about what I might be looking for for my next role. And she said, hey, uh, we have this portfolio company called the Long-Term Stock Exchange. It's in finance. Uh, they're trying to innovate from a software perspective, and they might be looking for product managers. So she introduced me, uh, and that's how I uh, ended up meeting the team at the Long-Term Stock Exchange, and that's how I ended up here. Yeah, that's great how your network came through again. So yeah. tell us, what's, what is Long-Term Stock Exchange? What do they do? What do you do? Sure. So the long-term stock exchange, uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to build a new stock exchange with a focus on long-term value creation. Uh, and our exchange will be listing-focused instead of trading-focused. So uh, when we get approved by the SEC, we will be uh, mainly going head-to-head -head against the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ to compete for listings. And what does that mean? What does that mean? You, like, so new listings or just or, or what? Sure. So um, we can do a number of things. So we can do new listings or we can do dual listings. Uh, existing public companies can also dual list both on New York Stock Exchange and on our exchange. I see. Yeah. But at, at the same time, we'll also do everything else that the other exchanges do. So we'll also do, do trading. So we are building also the first purely cloud-based exchange. Uh, so um, uh, a lot of the exchanges nowadays, they make a lot of money on uh, having a uh, server farm and renting out colo space. Um, so we don't want to focus on the trading side of things. We, we, we will do it, but our main differentiation is uh, what we offer to companies who list with us and our listing standards. Got it. And so you're a product manager there? That's right. And who's the CEO of this company? So we are headed by Eric Ries. Uh, Eric Ries, uh, he wrote a book called The Lean Startup. Uh, some of you may have heard of the book. Um, the, the book discusses a number of ways to really build a lean startup. So if you've heard of the term minimal viable product, MVP, or pivot, uh, or uh, innovation accounting, uh, he helped to popularize, popularize some of these concepts in, in, in the book. And he actually just had a new book come out, a follow-up to the Lean Startup called The Startup Way. Um, so um, the, the books are not just about how to uh, be a startup and be lean, but it's also about how to build a lean startup practice within a much larger company. So he also talks about how he helps uh, companies like GE to, to, to build a lean innovation uh, department. Um, that can quickly iterate on new products and get feedback from customers. That's, that's great. That must yeah. be a cool, cool guy to work for. How big is the team? Um, so we are right now about 30 people, uh, including our employees and our advisors. Um, and um, just an, I don't know about, about Eric, Eric Reese. So he actually had this idea to build a long-term stock exchange for a long time. Uh, so for those of you who've read the book, if you flip to the very last page of the Lean Startup, he actually talks about uh, the long-term stock exchange. Um, he had this idea and he's like, hey, if anyone would love to build it, I, I, I would love to help. But nobody did. So he decided to, to, to build it himself. Uh, that's, that's great. That's like the entrepreneurial mindset in a nutshell. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, so, Ray, where do you go from here? Yeah, so um, 
I think um, I I really wanted to find a happy home for myself, if you will, um, something which blends my background and also help me to build things that's meaningful and also fun. Um, I left finance because I didn't feel like I was really building anything uh, too meaningful. But now I'm sort of back, if you will. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm actually building something meaningful, but in a field that I really know well. Uh, and uh, hopefully we can do a great job. Uh, right now we're going through the SEC approval pro process. Uh, once we are done with that, we can help list companies. We can help bring startups to IPO to offer liquidity to startup employees. We can also offer long-term value creation and align the management team and investors. Uh, and we have a number of things lined up, which we, we really believe will help the whole equity capital market environment. Uh, and if we are successful, I can see myself being here for, for a long time. Uh, and uh, even though I've done uh, quite a number of roles in the past, uh, I've always wanted to sort of be somewhere and really help to drive the business, uh, to build it from the ground up and to help it grow. So if we are successful, I can see myself being here for, for quite a while. Right. I, I hope you are. I wish you luck on that journey. You've done, you know, what you've done is inspiring. You started off, you hustled your way into a finance job. You realized, I think one of like the big pieces of what you did is you realized what you wanted to do and you marched your way along that path to make that happen for yourself. And now you've kind of combined your two worlds of tech and finance. Um, but it's not, the journey is not a straight line. It zigs and zags and it's up and down. And, you know, you moved across the country in different places. And, you know, you basically just put opportunity in front of uncertainty. And I think that's a great lesson. So I'll let you leave it with... You know, any last piece of advice you have for people trying to break in, do the same, find what they're, you know, you called it a hobby, I call it a passion, but, but any, any, anything that, that you can leave listeners with would be awesome. Sure. Um, so I, I've, I've heard this advice over and over again uh, in the Bay Area, uh, which is if you see a rocket ship, you should strap yourself on the rocket uh, without asking any questions. Uh, and I, I think that that makes a lot of sense to a certain extent. I, I think uh, first you have to identify what this rocket ship is. And hopefully it's something with a huge growth potential. And it's something that you're passionate about that you would really enjoy doing. Because if you don't, I think you'll be burned out in, in a couple of years. Uh, and, 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 and really, uh, if you're able to identify something like this, you should try to uh, get yourself in, in there. Uh, whether... It's taking a step back in your career or taking a pay cut. Uh, if you can learn something new and that will help you uh, going forward, don't be afraid to take that opportunity. That's great. Ray, this was awesome. Your story was great. Thanks so much for talking. Thanks for having me, Alex. Okay, thanks for listening today. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Until then, leave us a review on iTunes and send me an email, alex at wallstreetoasis.com. Thanks for listening.